0: Welcome to Home Education Matters, the weekly podcast supporting you on your home education journey. Welcome to another Home Education Matters. And today I am joined by Joe Moorcroft, our dog behaviourist expert, but also having a conversation with me about how dog behaviourism meets progressive parenting. You may think there is no crossover, but there is a crossover. There's a hearty crossover. And Joe and I like to discuss this once a month together. So, Today, Joe and I will be discussing the role of discipline and compliance, or otherwise known as taking orders, <laughs> when it comes to raising your children and raising your dogs. So, first of all, Joe, thank you so much for joining me again on today's podcast, and do tell our, our listeners a little bit about yourself, and then what you think is the role of compliance and discipline when it comes to dog training.
1: Yeah. Hi. So for those of you who don't know me, I am Jo and I am a dog behaviorist who runs poor education, dog training and behavior. And I also have two young boys who are now two and four. So when it comes to discipline and all of of that within dog behavior, oh gosh, it can be so controversial as I'm sure you will all agree with me. Um, First of all, I think it's It's one of these things where a lot of people would have heard about this alpha theory where you have to be in control or the boss of your dog. Um, I know it has been very big on TV over the years that that's very much a method that falls in line with a lot of people. It's very archaic, however, because it does ultimately just mean that you are in pretty much an autocratic society. So you say everybody else does around you. And it's been disproved time and time again now that it is more based on relationship. It is more based on working as a team and a family unit. And yeah, you can already start to see the crossovers of how we interact with one another as human beings that you still have this, you need to be in charge even if you're a parent or a boss or whatever it is your your role is in job, life, whatever it may be. But it is still very prevalent in a lot of the crossover stuff. So, like we say, you you will have parenting ideals where absolutely not. How dare you have an opinion? This is my house, my rules, and this is what we're going to do, and I'm going to make all the decisions. And very much the same in in dog world as well. But you can get the extremes of right. That dog is again. We talked about on another episode about suppressing a load of behaviours. We will just make those decisions for you and. Hopefully, (laughs) with the idea being that because I I rule, you will do.
0: Doesn't matter. the theory I'm guessing behind disciplining dogs is that you ultimately want them to do what you tell them so because they're obviously a dog and they're on a lead and or off a lead and you want to if you know if there's something happening you want to be able to stop them running up to it you don't want them to attack people there's a certain uh, sort of element of safety built in there but do you think that there are other ways that you can achieve that same kind of um behavior choices without discipline
1: yeah absolutely um i think it's i think there's always going to be an element of i say discipline i don't like the word discipline but i can't think of anything it's almost like a correction but again that could also be perceived in many different ways <laughs> certainly in dog world um so i suppose yeah for clarity in in dog world a correction or discipline it could be anything as extreme as your e-collars, your prong collars, your slip leads, your anything that is quite physically aversive to the dog. It could be at one end of the scale where it's something that you don't really want to be doing from a discipline point of view. R- taking it right down to a a correction marker or an interruption noise, depends how you phrase it, but essentially it's the same thing. And that's ultimately where you just be going, ah, like, no, no, don't do that, like, all these little, just just slight little noises um, would interrupt the behavior from going on.
0: Is and there I think a role I, for that, do you think, in in dog training?
1: Again, gray area, it depends. I think we all naturally have those ah as in us. I think it would be fair to say the majority of us, if we had a dog store and we saw them doing something that we deemed inappropriate or we just didn't like it, we'd be like, ah, no, stop it. And I suppose it's the equivalent of the human version of just saying no to somebody. And again, you very much do this with young children. Um, I hear a lot of people interact with my children in a, no, 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 stop it way. No. (laughs) But I also hear a lot of people do it with dogs as well. Like if I walk into somebody's home for the first time and they're like, see, the dog just doesn't understand. No, look, watch. No, stop it. Get off. Get down. No, ah, uh," all of these weird little things come out. I'm like, Okay. So I personally like to rephrase it both from a parenting point of view and from a dog training point of view. In instead of focusing on the behaviors that I don't want to happen, including safety, what do I want to happen instead? Because when I can start to reinforce behaviors in a much better way, so arguably positive reinforcement, when I can start to reinforce behaviors that are going to occur more naturally then because they've got better value, then I don't necessarily have to interrupt behaviours as much. But I do still think that there is sometimes an element of discipline, correction, whatever you want to call it.
0: I'm guessing there are parents listening who may be saying, well, if I wait for my child to do something that I deem correct and I'm going to reward that reward the good behavior rather than correcting the bad behavior I might be waiting a really long time in order for that to happen
1: yeah yeah and it's um this is where again arguably I've I've definitely walked into parenting in a better position than most because of coming from the dog background and I've still got babies so I'm literally molding them from puppy um however I also work with a lot of a lot of people that don't come to me with with puppies they come to me with adolescent dogs and adult dogs so there's lots of habits already ingrained and there's, there's all of this as well but this is where ultimately it is thinking about changing the environment or setting up a situation so that you can get those aha moments and help that child slash dog make a better choice because we're not putting them in a situation to fail Um, an example, I suppose would be certainly in dog world, I was working with a client this morning and we wanted to see what the dog would be like with the presence of another dog around. So we put safety measurements in, in place. Um, and we had a closed door between the two dogs, but it was a a glass door. So one dog was outside and that dog came in slowly and we were offering food. The dog did not want food because the arousal had kicked in and she was like, no, absolutely not. I, I cannot cope with this. So we were like, okay, this is going to be too difficult for you. So we just moved away and we added more distance. But that's us trying to set up a situation in the best way possible to go back here. You're capable of showing a much better behavior instead of teeth snarling growling lunging barking all of the undesirable stuff but if i just give you some distance and put some management in place then i can start to say that there that behavior is much better than all of this and we start to do some classical conditioning which is essentially just a bit of pairing so oh look scary thing equals good thing Mm -hmm. and you start to work through it and you can do it very similarly with with children again so it's thinking about I know I've talked about before about the prep work I did for the airplane, but I didn't want to be that that person with two young kids that were just completely freaking out and being incredibly overstimulated on the plane. So I started going, well, if that's the goal, I had to think, what do I want? I would like my children to sit quietly. Again, I'm not bothered if they are sat on their bums, but if they are quiet and they are able to express themselves where they can or if I've given them enough to do, those are the things that I want. So these are the things I'm going to implement to start putting it in.
0: So you created a, an environment in which they were able to practice the skills <laughs> that you wanted to mold. And yeah. I think, I think there's no doubt that when it comes to dogs, I know that there's very much push to allow them to practice good behaviors and, and limit their opportunity to practice bad behaviors. Yeah. Now, with a dog it's clearer what is a good behavior and what is a bad behavior bad behavior might be barking or not necessarily of course but but or it might be snapping it might be lunging it might be those kind of things now they might be what we what we generally would conceive of as bad behaviors in inverted commas when it comes to dogs now with children isn't it so much harder to decide what is a good behavior and what is a bad behavior because isn't it necessarily you deciding you you said yourself about moulding, moulding them and moulding, you know, you said you've you got them from puppy so you're able to mould them. And that really resonates with me because obviously i home educated right from the start and I feel very much like I kind of created the family that I wanted. But I know that there are many people listening that would say, well, is it our job to mould our children? Is it our job to decide what is a good behaviour and what is a bad behaviour?
1: Yeah, and I think it's a very... It's a very good observation because, actually, arguably, you can do the exact same with dogs as well. So, we assume it's easier to identify what a bad behavior is because it's lunging, barking, growling, whatever it may be. However, I had a situation the other week where I saw some video footage of a dog in a daycare center and this particular dog had loads of dogs around him and I could clearly see from the outset that this dog wasn't overly comfortable being in that environment however he was in it nonetheless and he started after a while to just lift his lips a little bit and start to show a little bit of teeth you then heard a human being getting involved and going "Uh, ah no we don't do that and to me, I was going, oh, goodness me, What? why are we punishing? Because that's essentially what we are. We're punishing that dog now for quite very clearly, in a nice way, believe it or not, saying to another dog, back off and give me some space.
0: And doesn't this link in very nicely with our last podcast about suppressing behaviours? Because one assumes that if you suppress these more natural, minimal behaviour responses, ultimately the dog will be like, okay, in that case, I'm going for it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no,
1: absolutely. Um, so, I suppose in a similar example, then, so if I've got my two boys who again are, are two and four, feels weird saying he's four now, he was only four last week. <laughs> um, but if they are having a little bit of a to do and, you know, they're fighting over a, a toy, if I suppress either of them getting angry at the other, well, then it's still going to spill over somewhere else. And it's still, ultimately, do I then want a child as they grow up that then goes, I'm not allowed to show my emotion. So I will go, right, okay, Clay, Hudson, it's absolutely fine for you to get angry. We can't bite or hit the other person, but if you need to get that out of you, here, let's go and get a pillow and go and hit that instead. So I'm not suppressing it. I'm redirecting it into a more appropriate manner. And then as they grow, so we still talk about, Let's use your words where we can. I know that's really hard because you get that feeling inside and it's just got to come out. We read books about feelings, but we try and talk about emotional regulation as much as possible. And we try and model it ourselves, which is always the hardest thing, isn't it? But we, we work on that constantly. But it's giving them an outlet. So if when I see either of the kids suddenly open their mouth and walk toward the other as if they are going to bite the other, Similarly with a dog, if I saw a dog doing the same thing, if I just went, ah, ah, on both of those occasions, I am suppressing that behavior. So that individual then, whether it be the child or the dog, will go, oh, well, every time I offer this behavior, I just get told off for it. So guess what? I'm going to stop offering that behavior. This is in dog terms where I genuinely see dangerous dogs being a problem because we get they learn very quickly that, okay, fine, I'm going to skip all of these steps that tell you to back off, I'm not comfortable. So therefore I'm just going to do the thing that works. And unfortunately that is where we end up with these more extreme cases of, fine, okay then. And obviously it depends on personality type and loads of other variables, but in a simplistic view, if we suppress behaviors enough, the individual will learn, okay, fine, I'll just stop offering it. And it isn't makes sense. A point,
0: isn't there a point, um, for example, with the two children walking towards each other with their mouths open to bite each other, which <laughs> I appreciate is a kind of amalgam of dogs and children there? But isn't there a point it of. Put- <laughs> it's like a
1: threat behaviour. It's like, go on then, you try and take this toy, mouth opens. I'm like, oh God, okay, at least it's a warning. I'll take it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is the reality of having two young boys, right? <laughs>
1: yes, absolutely. So isn't
0: there a point at which you would intervene and go, ah, 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 stop it and then redirect the behavior? So you're, it's a, a minimal instant suppression in order to redirect.
1: Uh, yes. And I think this is where you get the key difference between the, the child and the dog. Speaking of which, one of mine has just come to join me, He's curled up next I to me. I know,
0: I'm a, bit, I'm a bit sad that we don't have the video for everyone to see because that's a very beautiful dog behind you.
1: But. She is, yeah, and she knows it. Um, so, yeah, so I think this is where we have the key differences between dog and human because ultimately humans, albeit mine are still young and developmentally are very different to an adult human being, they are still nonetheless a human being. So we talk the same language. I can't speak the same language to an animal. They don't speak human. So in that case, so if I was dealing with the dog that is now grinning and baring their teeth to say back off, I would actually go, okay, yes, I'm going to back off. So if that was directed at me, I would back off and go, I would rather you learn. That, that behavior gets me to move away rather than if we take it back to the start of this podcast, Aide, with the alpha theory of you need to be in charge and you need to be managing that situation. I could put pressure on that dog and be like, How dare you show your teeth at me? I am not, no, this is completely unacceptable. And again, pending on the personality, that dog can either come escalate their behavior and be like, Well, no, I'm telling you to back off. Clearly, a nice little grimace of the teeth is not working. So I'm now going to escalate it and put in a lunge and a snap. And if that doesn't work, I'm just going up or I then get a dog that goes, okay, I'm really sorry. And I back off, but that's because that's their personality to go. I'm going to act offensive in the hope that it works, but actually I'm quite scared. So I'm going to back off.
0: I think a lot of this is based on responsiveness, isn't it? So, for example, if you've got children and I know when I when my children were about the same age as yours, actually, um, I broke my leg and I was in a wheelchair for about a month because it was quite a bad break and I wasn't able to respond, uh, intervene and respond as quickly as I would normally to diffuse things. And I realized in that month how automatic and how instinctive my interventions were, not not you know, saying no or any of those things, but just kind of like intervening, saying something, you know, like, oh, you know, distracting them or putting their attention on other things, putting their attention on me physically, sometimes just kind of going in and giving one a bit of a hug, because I sense that there was stuff going on. And, and a lot of it is about being able to respond very quickly to your child. Now, I know, because I had two very close in age, that it's very difficult to be very ultra responsive when you've got a lot going on and at that point i just wasn't able to because i wasn't physically able to be very responsive so what advice would you give to parents who they they don't want you know they they don't want um a very a child who's like super, you know, super discipline led or very compliant, but they do also want a child who behaves in such a way that the house is able to keep running, but they're maybe not able to just have this constant responsiveness to their behavior.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is where management plays a big part as well. And I appreciate there's there's bound to be people out there that have got more kids than me. Um, But again, management, and I, I say the same with With dogs, which is why I'm always comparing the two. But if I can tell that my boys are in a heightened state of arousal for whatever reason, whether it's tiredness, over excitement, whatever it may be, I'll go, hmm, and I actually need to be doing stuff because I'm busy. I have two businesses. (laughs) I'm doing a uni degree. We've got a renovation. I've got the dogs. We've got chickens. There's a lot going on. So I can't always be there. But If I can sense those moments, I either have to make the adult decision and go, right, realistically, whatever else I'm doing needs to just stop and I need to help them regulate, even if that's just sitting with them for 10 minutes. And in our house, sometimes it's the case of just putting the virtual babysitter on the TV and going, let's just sit down, let's just be quiet for 10 minutes. Sometimes it's a book, sometimes it's something else. And then once they're a bit more regulated, I can start to eke out of the room and continue what I'm doing. Or sometimes it's going, right, this isn't going to happen at all. One of you reads in these asleep or actually I'm just going to separate you for a bit and we have a stair gate. Admittedly, the older one can open the stair gate now, but he kind of knows it as a, a bit of a cue. It puts a delay in, let's say, because then the youngest can't open it. And it's management again. It's going, right, I just need to separate you. I either need to be in there or again, if I can't physically do it. Have I got anybody to call on? I personally don't have that that joy as much as some people do. Um, But it's always trying to manage it and then going, okay, so I'll utilize some days where I know I need to get loads of stuff done and they'll be in forest school for a day. So I'm always trying to forward plan, time management, everything to help the kids regulate as best as possible with as much attention from me as possible. But then practicing those, you know, kind of, putting a little nod into dog behavior again, practicing those little separation moments so that they're okay being on their own.
0: Yeah, and I think if I was going to give sort of any sort of one tip to parents that want to have a a household that runs smoothly, but doesn't necessarily want to have this kind of discipline discipline kind of role or these kind of power plays that you get sometimes in families. I would say that it's about planning. You know, you need to plan ahead, and especially when your children are young. And I will say to anyone who, who thinks, oh my God, there's like so much work. It is a lot of work to begin with, but it tails off. And, and then you'll get to the point when your children are older, sort of 10 or 11, and people will, will repeatedly compliment you on your children. As, or say, aren't you lucky that X or Y? Are, and, and and I always always say, it's not luck. It's a lot of hard work I've put in to get to this stage. And it's exactly the same with dogs, isn't it? Exactly the same. You put your your time and effort in, and then you get a dog that runs nicely with the house, and you have that kind of smooth running. And so I would say, for me, when my children were younger, I would plan ahead for... And exactly the same with my puppy. I plan ahead for what I call interim moments. So movements from one activity to another, whether that's coming in the house after you've been out for the day, whether it's going out, to go on a trip, you know, when you're everyone's getting their shoes and socks on, it's exactly the same with my puppy. If I'm gonna take her on a walk, it's that period just before I take her out of the house. And then just after she comes back in and she's all kind of crazy and hyper. And for me, planning for those, what I call interim moments was really helpful. So quite often, if we'd had a big stimulating day out, I would, I had something called a separate room policy, which wasn't a punishment. It was just, okay, everyone's gonna go into their separate rooms each child went into their bedroom or they shared a room so they just go onto their separate beds and I would go into a room on my own and it was very nice because I also I'm quite introverted so I needed that that sort of downtime. And exactly the same when it came to preparing to leave the house, I would plan meticulously for these kind of interim moments, these kind of um, moments from one activity to another. And actually, I learned that from teaching when I was a trainee teacher. They said that that that's the point that everything always kicks off in the classroom when you're going from one activity to another. When they're first coming in, first going out, or you're moving from They're writing something down. They have to get their books out. That's always when something kicks off. And I actually learned that from teaching how important it is to manage those moments. So I think that would probably be my my one tip, I suppose, for if you want a smooth running house without having to be super disciplined and always like, no, no, don't do this. No, no, stop that because I hated that. I hated it. I think children just zone out. If, you, if they hear the word no too many times, they just zone it out. And then you're really stuck if you do need to say no, because they can't hear it anymore. It's like dogs. If you overuse their name, and then ultimately <laughs> you say their name, they don't come back when when they hear their name, because they've just heard it so many million times, they don't listen to it anymore. So what would be your one tip, Joe, for people that want that kind of smooth running house, but without that harsh discipline, or, or in actual fact, without discipline?
1: I think for me, and I appreciate this is really, really difficult because it's work on yourself, which is and I think it kind of aligns with the the last podcast we we did. Manage your own expectations. Set yourself up to succeed. Set your set your child up to succeed, set your dog up to succeed as much as possible. Um you've heard me mention that it was Clay's fourth birthday recently, and we had 17 children here and all of their adults and we did it quite a late birthday party we had one of these double-decker soft play buses which just has carnage written all over it however because it was managed so well I actually gave out instructions to all the adults who were bringing the children over and said because it's a bit late in the day I think the bus was getting here about 4 p.m I was like can you just try and manage if they still need a nap because they're young whatever get one in in the middle of the day and we purposefully drove the boys well i've got to do it he purposely drove the boys around for two hours around half 11 12 o'clock to make sure that they had a sleep and then the day went beautifully it was just really well managed um but our expectations were so aligned with going we've got lots of young children here we'd even set the dogs up to succeed so we booked them in at their overnight kennels because i was like it's too much stress for them to be here. it's 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 too much for me to expect them to cope in that situation which they would have done but it would have caused me more stress as well with doors open and if somebody who's not used to dogs leaves the door open and then suddenly I've got two huskies flying down the street <laughs> all of this is like there's there's only so much management I can do with that so expectation is they're not going to cope we're not going to cope they get to go to somewhere where they're used to going and they have a good time The kids are rested and they've they've slept. We've set them up. So we've been talking to them about this party for a week. They didn't even know the bus was coming, but they knew lots of people were coming over. And expectations time and time again, it just meant that everybody could breathe and go, yeah, if you've got 17 kids running around your house, it's fine. I expect the house to get messy. I expect doors to be open. I expect food to be dropped and drinks to be spilt. It's fine.
0: Yeah, and I Um, think this kind of prepping this kind of prepping and like i say planning and and you're talking about managing your expectations but also prepping everyone's expectations it it sounds like a lot of work but i would honestly say that that it's in the long run it's much less work than firefighting when you're constantly having to deal with stress and and high emotions and not high high emotions are fine but lots of negative challenging emotions that your child then finds difficult to manage because then you have to help them manage it then you're managing your own emotions and and that's much harder i think in lots of ways okay so that i think that's been a really fascinating discussion on discipline and i think one thing that is lovely is that i think for anyone listening who thought okay we're going to have a conversation about discipline and children and discipline and dogs there's been so little talk about actual discipline because I think neither you nor I buy into that no. idea at all, and so I think that's one thing that, that is actually really lovely. Is that anyone? I think anyone um, sort of listening in, thinking we we're going to be like, okay, so for discipline, you need to do this and this. Yeah, that's not ever how that was going to pan out in a home ed, in a home <laughs> ed podcast, was it? But one thing you mentioned was about the uh, alpha role when it comes to dogs and I know that that was a really popular thing sort of 10-15 years ago and actually I was thinking for our next podcast Joe, we could perhaps talk about family dynamics and family roles and power plays within family and how that works within dog training and how that works within bringing up your home educated child as well that might be quite a nice one to do next.
1: I love it. I love these controversial topics you throw at me. I love it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Joe. You're always really good fun to chat to on our podcast. And I'm looking forward to talking to you about our alpha alpha male or alpha alpha <laughs> roles in our next podcast. Thank you so much, Joe. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us for today's Home Education Matters podcast. See you at the next one. Have a lovely day.